create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in, <clears throat> in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days or the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Stephen, you can come on up. We'll dismiss our school-age kids. Uh, Kindergarten and first only, I think. Is that right? Kindergarten and first only. The rest of you are in it with us. And before Stephen begins, if you would just pray with me quickly, would you invite the Lord to speak to you this morning? In the midst of all the things going on, would you invite the Lord to speak to your heart? God, I love you. I pray that you would make much of yourself today, that we would see your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What's up, church? That was, I mean, I know preachers always do this, but like, I need a little more than that. I haven't been here in a long time. What's up, church? That was, that was really good. I didn't have to do it a third time. I'm very proud of you guys. Um, so today we're going to be in Isaiah 65, and this is special in a couple ways for me. I love Advent as well. I think it's one of the most beautiful times of the year for us as the church, but also like this is really our church family from Morgan and I. I mean, we've planted a church. I pastor there, but covenant for us is home. So when I come home, it's just like, it's relaxing. I see my people, and I know we have the same mission, and we have the same heart. And nowadays, not everyone's on the same mission, so to be together makes a big difference. So let's take a moment. I'm going to pray again to refocus us and hear God's word, and we'll step into the text together. Lord, I pray that you would use this scripture, use the truth of your word to push on us today. Uh, God, we live in a very hopeless world, a lot of things happen around us that take away joy, but also kind of eat away at who we are. We feel so hollow so often. We feel fear, anxiety, and stress. And I pray that in this moment, you would refocus our hearts to not trust in everything else around us, but to trust in the work of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom that has no end and that will not fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember the first time I met Todd, um, so Todd is from New Orleans, born and raised, and had a pretty interesting background. So heavy drugs and alcohol and a really rough life and had no hope in a lot of ways. And then the Lord changed his life. He got saved and I met him. He started coming to church and it was really good. Like he started coming to church and began to serve 
He kind of helped out, like, all the basic things, like making coffee, stuff that I did poorly back in the day. And it was good. Like, he was growing in discipleship and taking steps. But if you don't remember, the last couple years have been a little bit stressful. Is that just me, or is that everyone? It's been a little bit crazy. Okay. And so in that, he began to get, you know, more full of anxiety and fear and frustration. And he would have more and more conversations. And it might be something social or political or something that would come up. And he'd be very frustrated and angry and not know what to do. And we might even disagree on something that was secondary. Like, hey, we don't have to agree on everything, but let's grow together. And I remember he just got to a point where he just overwhelmed his life. Anxiety and fear and frustration. And then every pastor knows this text. You get the text, hey, we need to talk. I'm like, okay, like either you're probably going to leave the church or you're going to tell me I'm really bad at my job as a pastor. It's probably not to like give me a hug and just tell me like things are going great, right? I mean, y'all don't have to answer that, but that's how it goes when you get a text. And we met, and he's like, I just can't go to your church any longer unless you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, hey, well, I love you, but, like, that's not what God's called me to do. We preach the gospel. And he moved on. And I remember afterwards, I was thinking, man, God had done a work in his life. And then there's something in the air, it feels like, that just seeped into his soul. Like something overtook him to a point where, like, he loved the Lord, but he couldn't function very well. He was full of anxiety and fear and frustration. But thankfully, no one else has had that the last couple of years. I haven't struggled at all. None of us have, and our families. Thanksgiving has not been awkward for conversations. This has happened a lot. And it makes me think about what is happening to us. And not just us as Americans, that's a bigger conversation, but us as the church of Jesus. People that follow the gospel, what has happened to us? If we believe the resurrection, that Jesus actually came back from the grave, we should be the most hopeful and joyful and light people that exist. Like nothing should actually get to us ultimately because we have Christ and the resurrection and the power. We have deep abiding hope, but it seems like that's been snuffed out for a lot of people. Is that just me or would you, would you see that too? Or even in your own hearts, do you feel that sometimes, the rising anxiety and fear? And I think this is not a political problem, it's a theological problem. It's something so deep inside of us that we're missing. We're not seeing in Scripture and who Christ is. And look, I believe that we need to process when we go through bad times and and depression, anxiety, get therapy and medication. I'm not against any of that. But there's something that's deeper that we need to deal with in our hearts and in our lives. Advent is about waiting, and waiting is about hope. This whole point of Advent is about the hope of Christ to come, but Christ is not yet here, so we have to anticipate. But here's the big question. How do you have hope in hopeless times? How do you live in a world like this and not be depressed and anxious and crushed by it? It comes through hope, which is really about confidence in the king and confidence in the king's kingdom. This is the antidote for our age, for people around us, for us. And you may have a really nice external shell. You may show up to church and seem holy. You may have it all together in the outside. But inside, if you are hollow and crushed and fearful, that is not the state that Christ wants you to be in as his child, as part of his kingdom. So we're going to have confidence in the king to push back on this anxiety and to have hope. And why do we have confidence? There's two reasons. Because God will make all things right, and God transforms anxiety into hope. God will make all things right one day, and God transforms anxiety into hope. 
So let's step into this text together and walk through it a bit. So the first idea really is that confidence in the king and the kingdom is how we take this step forward. But the question about confidence is where does your confidence lie? Where does your confidence come from? So I have three kids, and everyone has kids in here. Do you have that one kid that's kind of wild and crazy? Like jumps off everything, jump, like anything that's around, breaks it in half, throws it. Is that everybody has that one kid? For me, that's Liv. She's six, and she's wild and crazy, and she likes to do this. She gets on the bed or some kind of furniture, and she wants to jump to me, right? And most of the time, she makes it, but not every time. And so I've learned that I have to figure out about her length is to jump, and when she gets ready to jump, I go, I've got you. Because she knows that even if I don't make it, what's going to happen? Dad's going to catch me. I don't have to be confident in myself. I got to be confident in dad, and I'm slightly larger than Liv, and I can get there a little bit easier than Liv. The confidence was not in her ability in that moment, but in my ability. She didn't have to be the strong one, didn't have to have all the answers and know exactly what to do, but she knew that dad has me. Dad will take care of me. Even if I miss the mark, I will not be left to suffer alone. God is with me. God will take care of me. I think God wants to grow our confidence in him. When you think about hope, you think about confidence, it's really about trust. Who do you trust in your life? Who do you trust? In a moment like this in the world around you, who do you trust? We often trust in our situations, right? So when life is good, when the bank account's full, when the kids are great, when the spouse is great, man, life is wonderful. But when that fractures, when relationships break apart, when you feel like you can't make ends meet, when you feel like you have nowhere to go, you lay in bed at night, you look at the ceiling, you're like, who even am I anymore? What have I become? Where am I going to go in life? Those are the moments that God wants to shift our confidence from ourselves and our situations back to him. It's an opportunity. Congratulations this morning. You have an opportunity in the brokenness of your life to stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in God. I believe that every human has a deep hunger inside of them for something greater than who they are. They want to believe in something, to trust in something, to have confidence in something. And right now, there's a lot of options for you in the world. The culture is giving you a lot of options to trust in, to have confidence in. You could chase money. That can be great. Stuff is nice. Food is nice. Mortgages are nice. They're kind of high on the interest rates, but... It's all good stuff, right, to have things. You could chase money and try to make as much as possible. It could be political power. If you just have the right person in office, the right people to make the changes, then things would be better. You may go, I just want to slow down. I just want to go fishing. I want to stop in the rat race. I just want to rest for once in my life. We all have something that's like, hey, if I could just get to this finish line, it'll be better. But when you get to the finish line, guess what? There's another finish line. And you finish that one, there's another finish line. It never actually solves the problem. When you get what you want, it doesn't actually solve the problem that's deep inside of you. If you want to get off the roller coaster of your life, you've got to grow in your confidence in who God is. If you want your life not to be ups and downs every day, every week, you have to shift from your own trust in yourself to trust in Jesus. And thankfully, we're not the first people to go through a moment like this. The book of Isaiah, it's really interesting because what's happening in Isaiah? Well, in Isaiah, we have a moment where Isaiah is bringing a message of judgment. 
Israel was disobedient. The nation had leaders that would not listen to God. God used other nations to mess with them. That doesn't sound anything relevant to us, right? Just kidding. And in this moment, in this terrible situation with people that won't listen to God, a country that won't listen to God, what is his goal? He's going to come preach the judgment to come, that an exile is coming, that this is going to get crushed. Like this situation that's happening, this evil in the world, God is going to judge this because it is not okay. But it doesn't end like that. Isaiah preaches a message of judgment because it was necessary, but it doesn't end like that. We get to Isaiah chapter 65, and it's not just a message of judgment, it's a message of hope, right? So in the situation that we're in right now in the world around us, there does need to be judgment and clarity and the gospel. But it's not just a message of judgment, it's a message of hope, that God is here, that we can have confidence in the king. And so look, we need to be confident in who God is. We need to trust in the king and get away from ourselves. But the question is, why should I be confident, right? So like, Stephen, I get it, you're preaching the Bible, great, congratulations. What does it mean for my life? Why should I actually trust in who God is, that he'll make all things right? It's because the scriptures actually teach that life is not just striving to get by and putting things into your bank account and, and building a nice life, but it's actually a life that's transformed by the gospel become more and more like Christ. So we have confidence, why? Because God will make all things right. So here's a question for you to think about. What is the storyline of the Bible? Like if we had a Sunday school class right here and we said, what is the storyline of the Bible? What would you say? You can say something if you want. I'll let you talk back to me. Anybody? Over here, I'm just kidding. You might say something like this, that God is going to reconcile people through Jesus, through the power of the cross. He's going to reconcile people through faith in Jesus. And that is totally right. And that's biblical and it's true. But it's not just that he's going to save people through Jesus. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. He's not just going to save his people. He's going to remake the entire world for his people. We're not just a saved entity that's flying off into the heavens. God's going to make everything right once again. You have the Garden of Eden and then you have sin. And then you have a new garden, a new Jerusalem a new world where God will put things the way they should be. So let's look here at the text in Isaiah chapter 65. Let's read a little bit of this together, starting in verse 17. For I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I'm going to rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at 100 years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses 100 years will be considered cursed. So this is what God is saying to these people that have been judged, that in a terrible situation where things are not looking good, this is what I'm going to do one day. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. You're going to rejoice and be glad forever. The people will be a delight in this place. There's going to be no more weeping or crying. Nursing infants are not going to die anymore. And old men that make 100 are going to be young men in this reality. This is the kind of place that we can only dream about. This is the kind of place that we 
in our hearts long for so deeply, but this is the place, if you follow Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you are promised. This is yours. God's kingdom is yours if you're in Christ. So in a hopeless world, in a hopeless moment, in your suffering, where should you turn? Turn to the promise of this kingdom and this reality. One of the things I love in this text, it says this, that past events will not be remembered or come to mind anymore. So you don't have to be honest. I know it's church. I'm not always going to be honest at church. But if you want to, you can. So have you ever had something that you said to someone else that you replay in your mind over and over and over for years to come? Is that just me? Okay, that's everybody? Okay, so I'm going to share one of mine with you. I'm going to be honest and just have some therapy this morning. So I remember in high school, uh, played a game. We beat the other team playing football, right? And there was a kid on the team that was a great person, but not a great player necessarily, right? And I remember he made a play in the game, one of his only plays of the entire season. I was excited for him. But I remember after the game, someone asked about how he did. I'm like, we did so good, even the punter made a play today. And he wasn't the punter, okay? And when I said that, I didn't realize that his parents were standing next to me. And I looked over and someone goes, is he the punter? And they go, no, he's not the punter. And my entire body was just like, ugh, I feel horrible. And that's like 20 years ago. And on occasion, that still comes to mind. I'm like, I just, it's a horrible thing to say. He they felt horrible. Like, I just play that in my mind. And I'm like, man, that would be great to like take a time machine and just like knock it off, right? And look, that's kind of a silly one, but we probably have darker ones that we don't want to share, right? Maybe relationships that didn't make it, that broke apart, someone that we love that we hurt, a time that we didn't come through when we said we would come through. And we have these past events that haunt us and our sin haunts us so often. And we are so often just entrapped by these memories and sins of our past. And in this moment, we read a verse like this, past events will not be remembered or come to mind anymore. The things that haunt you will be gone and destroyed. You live in a place that doesn't have this terror of your life and your sin and your brokenness to be in a place full of peace and rest and joy. There's no weeping or crying. This is the kind of place that should bring us hope. Let's go further down in the text as well. Verse 21. People are going to build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or build children des destined for disaster. They will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And in verse 25, I love this verse. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like cattle. The serpent's tree will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. The wolf and the lamb are going to feed together. Now, I am not a biologist or, you know, I don't really understand anything about animals. But normally, I think that wolves eat lambs. They don't eat together. They eat lambs. That's not normally the people that you would see, like Tom and Jerry don't hang out together in the cartoon. <laughs> right? That doesn't make sense. These are natural enemies. But in this new reality, they will feed together. It's because the sin and the brokenness and the division and all the things that exist will be put to rest and destroyed. 
even the fracture in our world where these two animals would be at war with one another will be together, feasting together in this new reality. Whatever you've been through, whatever people have done to you, the sin they've done to you, the sin that you've done to other people, that if anyone else knew today, you would never come back here for, God will make that right. God will put all things right. If someone else did it to you, God will judge that sin because he is holy. But also, if you have done those horrible things, which we all have, at the cross, you're forgiven in Christ. And you're promised this kingdom and this reality. Keep pushing forward. Have confidence in God because he makes all things right. Have hope. Don't be a hopeless person. You're a resurrection person. You're a kingdom person. You're not hopeless. Everything that you want is there in the kingdom. Strive for it. Focus on it. Go towards Christ. And so in all of this, what is the goal for us practically? Right, these are great ideas and it sounds really good, but what does it mean for us? I think God wants to do this. He wants to build your confidence and to be confident that the kingdom's going to come, things are going to be made right. But what does that look like? God wants to transform your anxiety into hope. The thing that keeps you up at night, the thing you can't get out of your mind and your soul, God wants to turn that into hope. I keep, I keep running into people over and over as a pastor, and it feels like they take steps, and God does a work, and they hit this wall, right? They hit this wall where they can't seem to get past it. And I'm trying to figure out, like, God, what is it? At first, I was like, I'm just going to preach harder. We're going to do more discipleship. Those things are good. And I was like, maybe we can have more outreach and more missional things. Those are good. But, like, it wouldn't solve the problem. And I kept asking myself, like, Lord, what is it that you want to do in our lives to get us past this wall? We hit over and over and over. And God brought this verse to mind. It was Romans 12, 2. And in that, Paul says this. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So Paul's speaking to the church at Rome, and he says this famous verse. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind of your mind. And so I thought about this first and I realized what I had done in my own life and maybe you've done this as well. I read this verse and I grew up in a religious family in Shreveport. We were good people and I go, okay, don't be conformed. Have good morals. Don't sleep around. Don't drink too much. Or if you do, don't tell anybody. You know, like do the right moral things. Be a good person. Be clean. Be distinct. Look, and those aren't bad things. Right? Like you should be holy. You should follow God's teaching in Scripture. Like Those are good things. But I think what I've done in my life at times is I take the big categories and I go, well, I'm not doing the bad stuff. I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm not conformed to the world in these kind of areas. And then all the small categories of life, I let completely slide. And I get eaten alive as a person. Anxiety, greed, selfishness, a lack of love, saying true things but having no love for people. Standing up for what's right but don't really care about the other ones because they're the problem in the world and I'm the good person. And those things will eat you alive. They will destroy not just your hope but your peace, your joy, everything inside of you. And so I think Paul is saying to us, don't be overwhelmed by the world and not just the big bad things but the small things inside of you that you can justify. 
that you can say this is okay. This is actually, I think, where we're dying sometimes in the church today. We have the big categories, like we're good, we're holy, we're righteous, and these small things are making us hollow. And we go, why don't people listen to me when I preach the gospel? It's because they see the hollowness. They see the emptiness. They see the small things that are just eating us up. And God wants to free you from that today. God wants to free me from that today. Free us as his people to go back to the good news and the power of God. To not let these small things begin to destroy you, but actually turn those things into hope and say, look, I don't know the exact right thing to do in this moment. I don't know exactly how to overcome this, but I'm going to take what I have, who I am as a person, and I'm going to give it to the Lord. The anxiety and the fear that we have in our world, I'm just not going to live that way. I, I, I don't know exactly how to get through that in this moment, but I want to live in the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Does that mean you're never going to struggle again? No, you're definitely going to struggle again. You're definitely going to have hard times again, but I think we need to make conscious decisions about this freedom that God has for us and the anxiety that we feel in our world today to go, I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to trust in God. You might say this, I'm worried about my kids. I get that. God loves your kids more than you do. He's going to take care of your kids. You may say, how are we going to get by in a world like this? Like, how are things going to go in 30 years? I don't know, but I know God's got it. God has a kingdom that's not going to end. And whatever comes next, comes next. Like, I can't control it. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm going to trust and have hope in God. You might say, my family will never be the same. It'll never come back together again, never be healed. Yeah, you can never do that, but God can do that. God could heal your family in relationships, marriages, kids, grandparents. Those things can be fixed through the power of God. What if the church in America was known for hope and not anxiety? What if the church in America was known not for fear and frustration and anger, but joyful people that loved others and shared the gospel? What could God do with a church like that? Even not just in America. What if Grace in New Orleans and Covenant here in Bossier we were those kind of people? You come to our house and we don't spend 30 minutes railing against whatever happened yesterday. We go, how are you doing? What are you going through right now? How can I pray for you? You know what? We got a little extra this at Christmas. You know, I know you're kind of behind route. Let's take care of you. We want to we serve you guys and love you guys. And I, I know our churches are doing this. I get that. But what if that became who we were marked by? People saw that in our lives. What if the gospel of hope was central to us? What if anxiety faded and was transformed into hope? What could God do with that? I'll end with this story. Um, so moved to New Orleans, we planted a church, and then we got a chance to kind of replant this older church. And so it had been there a hundred and something years, and we got the building and crazy. We're still bitter about that we got a building and kind of negative building, but that's okay. It's just God's blessing down the line, right? But in this entire situation, I remember one of the older folks that was left was Miss Daisy. And no, I did not drive her, but, sorry, but Miss Daisy had been there for a long time, and she loved me. Like, even if I preached poorly or great, she loved me, she encouraged me. And I was like, man, she must have had a really easy life. Like, she's so joyful, she's so full of the Spirit. I remember one time I talked to her about her life and the suffering that she had been through, and I couldn't even imagine some of it. Losing people in her family, like 
her actual kids, there was division, there was brokenness, there was issues. They never had enough to get by hardly. It was in the ninth ward, right? Like, life is tough. And she'd just been through so many things. And I was like, how does she have so much joy with such a, like a, 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 a terrible life in many ways, a struggling life? And I remember um, she passed away in February of 2020. And I remember I learned a new hymn in January of 2020 called Soon and Very Soon. Does anybody know that one? Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. No more crying there. We're going to see the king. No more dying there. We're going to see the king. And I told her, I was like, hey, I learned this. She goes, oh, baby, oh, baby. It's all New Orleans, like, oh, baby. Oh, I know that one. I know that one. And in her life, I saw that she was full of hope and joy in a situation for decades that seemed horrible. And I was like, well, if she can do that, surely I can live that way. If I can see her suffering, her difficulty, surely I can live this kind of life. The power of God is not just for her, it's for me as well. And so I think for us, and I think about my life and my hope for you is take this anxiety and this fear in this moment of Advent. Take all these things that are overwhelming you and give them to God. Say, God, I don't know what to do with this, but I trust the gospel is enough. And look, tomorrow may not feel any different, but six months from now, 12 months from now, three years from now, it will feel different. And people around you are going to start going, you're not so angry. You're not so anxious. You're not so frustrated. You're like, yeah, I have hope. And I think this is what God wants to do in this Advent season is to take our anxiety and struggles and put them into hope in our lives. Let's pray and then we'll have Jason come up. Lord, I thank you that we can have hope because of the gospel. The gospel is very challenging in so many ways, Lord, because we know that we don't live up to it so often. We know that we don't do all the things that we should be doing. But, Lord, we also understand that, like, your power, the power of the Spirit is here for us. And so I pray for people here today as they listen to this sermon, as things came to mind about fears and anxieties and hopelessness in their life, I pray that not my words, but the words of your Scripture and your truth will begin to dig into their hearts. Lord, free us. Don't let us be hopeless people. Don't just let us drift out into the world around us and be like everyone else that's so tied down with these things. But Lord, give us hope and freedom in the gospel today. Thank you for this church, their love for us in New Orleans, and I thank you that we have unity together in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.